I think it's always helpful, especially at the start of a semester, to ask why. Like, why do we do this? Why do we come here on a Wednesday night? Why do we open up the Bible? Like, why do we care what this ancient document has to say? And I think it's a really good question. I think it's actually a really fair question. Let me put it to you this way. Everybody that you know, which includes everybody on this campus, right? Everybody is looking for the good life. Everybody has a vision of what the good life is, and they're chasing after it. For some, the good life looks like a purple Lamborghini and a Ted bedroom mansion. Like, that's the good life. The doors are coming up, right? For others, it's hoisting a championship trophy after the big game, right, before just millions of adoring fans. That's the good life. For others, the good life is an endless array of hookups and exciting sexual encounters. For others, it's having a million followers on Instagram or TikTok. For others, it's going to exotic like locations all around the world or being invited to that like secret dinner in the woods underneath like the twinkling lights. There are so many different ways of visualizing the good life and your social media feeds do a great job of curating them and sort of presenting them before you saying like desire this chase after this. But like I think mirages in a desert Right? These visions often look good, they're enticing, but they don't really satisfy. So many of these like, leave us high and dry. And if you don't ask me, you can ask Tom Brady if you can, like, I don't know, get his number. <laughs> like, he'll tell you. Like, this guy didn't just have like, one of the good lives. Like, he had them all like, wrapped into one. Right? He has, I mean, he was at the top of his game. Like, more Super Bowl rings than almost fingers uh, you know, on his hand. He had the supermodel wife, the beautiful, he's got beautiful kids, the sports cars, the mansion, the looks, the likes. He's got it all, and he's dissatisfied. And he's not alone. Like, there's so many others who, like, chase after these things. Like, they're dissatisfied. So what does this have to do with you, and what does this have to do with me, and what does this have to, what does this have to do with Wednesday night? Well, like I said, every one of us is looking for this good life. But the reason why we sing songs to Jesus And the reason why we open up the scriptures every Wednesday night is because we in RUF believe that if you want to live the good life, life as it was meant to be lived, you've got to know the one whose image that you bear. You are made in the image of God. And for you to really live the good life, you need to know the one whose image you bear. Trying to do that, like trying to live life apart from him, is like trying to run a a car without a battery. Or I have an even better sort of visual for you. It's like trying to plug in a lamp like into something that, other than like a light socket. I, my son, JB, who's like nine months old, he, he gave me this picture. We, we buy him toys, but he doesn't want to play with the toys. He wants to play with like the plugs <laughs> like that are like around. He wants to bang the pots and he wants to like play with the electrical, <laughs> like the plugs. We're like, we're, we don't let him do that. Like, we'll unplug things, and we're like, we keep it safe. But it's fun to watch him sort of, like, take that, like, three-pronged plug and, like, jab it into things. And, of course, nothing happens. Like, he plugs it into the couch. No light comes on. He plugs it into, like, a plush, like, I don't know, Squishmallow that Willow left. Nothing happens, right? 
And that's sort of like what we are doing. It's a good visual for like us. Like what's going to light me up? What's going to like turn me on and get like this, this lamp, this lamp that is our lives? Like what's going to illuminate it? We're like JB taking that plug and like plugging it into all of these things that will not work, right? Thinking like, oh, if I could just plug into this, then I will be satisfied. Nope, into the squishmallow, into the sports, into the sex, into the like the perfect GPA, whatever it is for you, doesn't work. There's only one thing that will, right? It's being connected to the God who made you and who died to save you. The one who loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you. The God who spoke the universe into existence and is communicating still. Like he has something to say to you tonight. He has something to you to say from the pages of his scriptures. And we in RUF, we simply want to help you connect with him and to hear his voice. And that's why we do this. That's why we gather on Wednesday nights. That's why we like encourage Bible study and small groups and have Bible reading plans. Because we really believe this, right? Like this is a secret not-so-secret ingredient to living a good life. This semester, we're going to be looking at a New Testament letter here called Romans. Um, If you've ever opened up a Bible, you'll notice that it's divided into two sort of halves. There's an Old Testament, and then there's a New. And in the New Testament, it's divided into sort of two halves. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. These are the stories about Jesus and the formation of the early church, like the first churches. And then everything else, from Romans to Revelation, they're all letters, just letters written to the churches. And we're going to look at this first one that appears in the New Testament, Romans. Okay, it was written by a man named Paul, whose life was changed when he encountered Jesus this side of Easter. He was doing everything to destroy the Christian church. And then after meeting Jesus, he becomes one of the greatest missionaries and church planners of all time. Like, he's an interesting guy. He plants churches up and down and all around the Mediterranean. And after planting churches, he keeps in correspondence with them. He's writing them letters. He's reminding them of the gospel. He's reminding them of what is true. And Romans is not the first letter that he wrote, but it is recognized by the early church as like first in importance. It's probably the most important thing that he wrote. And that's why it's listed first. I want you to hear what some people say about the book, the letter that we're going to spend all semester with. This is what some pretty influential people have to say. John Stott, who was a 20th century pastor and theologian, he called it the fullest, plainest, and grandest statement of the gospel and the New Testament. Martin Luther, maybe you heard about that guy. He said it's worthy not only that every Christian should know this letter word for word by heart, but also that he or she should occupy themselves with it every day as it is daily bread for the soul. John Calvin said, if we have a true understanding of this letter, we have an open door to all the treasures of Scripture. There's a North African theologian named Augustine. His life was changed by reading this letter, and he went on to change, I don't know, millions. I mean, it's maybe billions of people's lives across history. It started with this letter. It's been called a theological jewel, a masterpiece, a magnum opus, I like this one, unquestionably the most important letter that was ever written. <laughs> Look, if, if Romans is on, like, Amazon, it has, like, billions of four- and five-star reviews. Like, there is definitely hype around this book. But what's in it? 
Like, what does it contain? As I said, it was a letter, and it was written. Uh, it was a letter that was written to the church in Rome. That's where it gets its name, Romans. Uh, the original audience would have received it all at once, and they would have heard it read out loud. It would have taken about an hour to hear straight through. We're going to walk through it over the course of 14 weeks. <laughs> so we're doing a little bit of a, a, of a slower journey through it. But the key theme of this letter really is the gospel. It's a word that means or translates into good news or glad tidings. Gospel is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus and Paul lays out beautifully in the first eight chapters what the gospel is and is all about. And then he spends the second half of that book, that letter, particularly chapters 12 through 16, to sort of flush out what it looks like for you and for me to live in light of the gospel, to live like a gospel-driven, gospel-centered, or gospel-shaped life. So like, what is the gospel, and then how does it sort of shape our life? How do we live in light of it? That's really what this letter is all about. It's what we're going to spend the semester sort of exploring together. Tonight, by way of introduction, I want to simply look at the first seven verses of this letter. Okay? We're going to hear Paul introduce himself to his audience. Again, it's the church in Rome. But it's also you here in this room tonight. He's addressing you as well. But also, he's introducing this main theme, this gospel of God, which is really the gospel of from God. It's the gospel about God. And we're going to say, like I said, we're going to read verses 1 to 7. You can follow along with me up here, but I also have in the middle of your table some handouts that you can, I don't know, follow there. You can underline or take notes however you like. But this is how it begins, okay? It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. It's talking about Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his introduction. And there are four things that I really want to call your attention to from this short introduction before we break into some small group discussion for like 15 minutes or so. I'm going to move through these points sort of fairly quickly. Okay, the first thing that I want you to see from this short introduction is that the gospel is contained in the Holy Scriptures. See that in verse 2. This is a short point, but I want to reiterate it. Right, the reason why we spend so much time with the Bible and RUF is because we believe that it contains the gospel. We believe that if you read it and you understand it, you're going to hear a good news that leads to a good life. A life well-lived, life to the fullest, the kind of life that Jesus intends for you, God intends for you to live. This good news was promised beforehand by the prophets, and it was written down and recorded. So it wouldn't be just one generation that would hear God's promises, like given and fulfilled, but that all generations could know it. And that includes you and me here tonight. Like, this is for you. I think you could say... 
in RUF that we take the Bible seriously, even if we don't take ourselves super seriously. Right? You can take the Bible seriously and not be like a really serious, boring person. Right? Like in RUF, we take the Bible seriously and we also like to have fun. Like we're gonna go glow stick like sledding on Friday. We've got the small group challenges happening. Like there's so many fun things that our ministry team uh, has put together for you like in the weeks and months to come. Like it's going to be awesome. But this is part of it too. Like gathering around the scriptures, doing Bible study, coming here on Wednesday night because we take the Bible seriously even if we're not taking ourselves too seriously. Uh, And the reason we do that is here in verse two. The gospel is contained in the scriptures. Point number two, the gospel is good news about concerning Jesus. You see this is, uh, in verses three and four. The gospel concerns his son, that's God's son, as well as the son of Mary, who he was born according to the flesh. Verse three, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The good news, this gospel, it is inextricably linked with the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If there is no Jesus, there is no good news. The gospel is about what God has done for us, not what we do for God. I'll say that again because it's easy for us to sort of mix this up in our minds and even get sort of mixed up in our culture. The gospel is good news of what God has done for us. It's not about what we do for him. It's what he's done for us. A lot of sort of moralistic religion works according to that other principle. It sounds like if you do this or if you do that, if you are a good person, if you go to church, if you give money to it, if you feed the homeless, if you pray five times a day, if you do X, Y, or Z, if you do all of that stuff, then maybe God will love you and reward you. Then you'll be blessed. But y'all, that is not the gospel. The gospel is not what we do for God, but what he's done for us. Because the fact of the matter is we're not doing any of those good things naturally. We're not loving God with our whole heart. We're not loving our neighbor as ourselves. We're mostly in it for ourselves. We're pretty selfish people, self-centered, like doing our own thing, not deserving of heaven, right? We're lost sheep. We're prodigal sons and daughters, But God loves the lost. Jesus saves sinners. He goes on a search and rescue mission to reconcile us to God. So the gospel is far beyond it being like good advice. It is good news. It is the good news that though you have not loved God, he loves you. And though you've gone this way, he's gone that way too to get you and to restore you to himself. Again, this is not good advice. This is good news about a good God. Right? It's good news concerning his son. And, and it, of course, involves you. But you're not the hero. Right? Uh, you're the rescued one. Point number three. The gospel's for all nations. It's for all peoples. Uh, you can see this in verse five. Paul points out there, right, that this gospel's for all nations. But all nations includes you. It includes every person, all kinds of people from all around the world, including people who you never would have imagined, right? College students at the University of Vermont. Like, he doesn't know where that is. (laughs) He wouldn't imagine this room, but he would know, oh, yeah, the gospel's for them, too. (laughs) 
right? It's for you and for me. From the get-go, which you can read about in that book of the Bible, Acts chapter 2, the Christian church has always been a multi-ethnic, multilingual, multinational family united around Jesus. It has always been that. Multi-ethnic, multilingual, multinational family. It was true of its beginning, and it's true of its end. One of the last images the Bible leaves us with is a picture of a heavenly city, and that heavenly city is populated from people from all around the world, from every tribe and tongue and nation. That's where history is heading. Jesus brings together all kinds of people from all around the globe. He makes brothers and sisters out of rich and poor alike, young and old, gay and straight, African and Australian, Inuit and Acholi, all the way down the line. I don't know if you know this, but there are two and a half billion Christians of all ages around the globe, which is representing one third of the world's total population. Christianity is so geographically widespread that it is hard to determine where it's centered, but it's most certainly centered in the global south. There are more, Af- there are more Christians in Africa today, uh, Africa today than in any other continent. 68% of Christians are people of color a decade ago, and this percentage is only increasing. I know like diversity and inclusion is a big deal here at the University of Vermont. It's important, and I think for good reason. But it is worth your attention that the church has always been and forever will be the most diverse and inclusive community in the cosmos. It's just true of it. The church is the most diverse and inclusive community on the planet, and nothing else comes close. Because the gospel is for all nations, and the good news about Jesus and the good life that he has won for us, it's for all kinds of people. And this is why we say in RUF, as part of our mission statement, that RUF is a campus ministry at the University of Vermont where every student is invited to connect with Jesus, to experience his goodness, and to share his love with others. RUF is not just for those who come to this campus believing in Jesus already and to be like, hey, here's a club for you. It's a campus ministry where every student is invited to taste and see of his goodness, to ask questions and to figure out, is Jesus for real? The last point I want to make tonight from this passage is that the gospel speaks to our calling as well as to what we are called. And here's what I mean. When I was a college student, which was a while ago, okay, there was a lot of talk about calling, as in, what do you think is your calling? What do you think is your purpose or mission in life? What do you feel like you are called to do? I don't know if that language of calling is still used today. I don't hear it much from where I stand. I don't know if you hear it from where you sit. Like maybe that language of calling has just fallen out of vogue or I've just fallen out of touch, right? But my sense is that it's probably a little bit of both. Like we are in Burlington, Vermont, after all, one of the like the least Christian cities in America. Like we are living in sort of a post-Christian part of our country. You could call it secular. And in a secular culture such as ours, God is pushed to the margins. Like his existence is either denied outright or it's most certainly just downplayed. And if there is no God, there's no creator. And if there's no creator, there's no design or purpose to your life. You can't have a calling 
without a caller, right? You can't have meaning or purpose if there's no design. And I think it's part of that reason. Our culture has been so infiltrated by this idea that either there is no God or he's irrelevant at best. That we just, that language of calling has almost just, it's vanished. And what we get in its place is a lot, instead of talking about meaning and purpose, we talk a lot about identity. Because when calling sort of escapes our vocabulary, all we're left with is what we are called. If we get rid of something that is bigger and beyond ourselves, that gives us sort of direction, all we have is ourselves. And the conversation just shifts. There's no meaning or something out there, so let's just go inside. Let's sort of figure out what's in here, and then let's project it out to the world as loudly as we can. Let's tell the world what we want to be called. And I feel like that conversation dominates the airwaves and dominates your feed. I recently read a book where the author described modern life as people shouting their name in a crowded warehouse. Like life today feels like a bunch of people in a crowded warehouse screaming their name. And since everybody is screaming their name, nobody is listening to you or what you have to say. And since nobody is listening, everybody is anxious and getting angry. And the volume is getting louder and louder. Because we are obsessed with what we are called. And seeking some sort of affirmation. As we sort of round out this introduction and this sort of part of our discussion... I simply want to point out to you from this very short introduction that the gospel touches our lives at both of these points. It speaks to our calling, because you do have one, and it also speaks to what you are called. There is a God. There is a caller. Your life does have meaning and purpose and a calling. In verse 6, you were called to belong to Jesus, not to yourself. You're called to belong to him. You are called to be his saints, which is not saying you are called to be super Christians. It's a word that simply means set apart. You've been called to be different for goodness sake. And this is not just a calling tomorrow. This is a calling today forevermore. Called to be salt and light in a dark and dying world. There is work that God has for you to do. You have a calling. You have a calling here as students, right? It's not just like something, like I said, it's not just something that you have to wait till you graduate to sort of step into. No, it's a calling that intersects your life now, today. Called to belong to Jesus, called to be a saint. But the gospel doesn't just give you a vocation, it also gives you a new identity. Paul addresses this letter to all those who belong to Jesus and are loved by God. He addresses them. He addresses this letter to all of you in Rome who are loved by God. All of you in Burlington, Vermont, who are loved by God. All of you who are at the University of Vermont who are loved by God. This is a letter for you. This is your identity. You are beloved. You are someone that God says, I love you and I want to be with you. It's, you are someone that he has put his name on. Someone that he calls mine. This doesn't just speak to your calling. It also speaks to what you are called. I want you to remember that great movie, Toy Story, with me. 
Okay? There's a point in Buzz Lightyear's life when he realizes that he's been chasing, like this thing that he's been chasing his whole life, like being a space ranger, defeating Emperor Zerg, right? That's not all it's cracked up to be. Like this vision that he has of the good life, it's an illusion. It's a mirage. It's a commercial. It's a manufactured mission. But it's at this precise moment when Buzz is prone to despair that he looks down on his boot. And what does he see? Yeah. (laughs) He sees Andy's name written on his soul. S-O-L-E. But you could just as well write it S-O-U-L. Because it's written there on his soul in black permanent sharpie, Andy. In seeing Andy's name written on his soul, it changes Buzz from the inside out. It changes the way that he sees himself, and it changes the way that he relates to the other toys. For Buzz, knowing what he is called, that he is beloved, that he is Andy's toy, it does more than renew his sense of self. It also renews his sense of calling. And I submit to you tonight that the gospel does the exact same sort of thing for you and for me. That this gospel contained in the scriptures about Jesus Christ for all nations, if it's true, it will change the way that you think about yourself and it will change the way that you navigate life in this world.